listening to First Church Charlotte. God bless you. You may be seated. I am, I am going to talk to you tonight from this, this theme, two questions from above. Two questions from above. I, I want to share with you uh, something that's been in my spirit for, for the last couple of weeks. I want our, our church to be founded upon effective ministry. I want us as a people to be busy about our Father's business. If you lose us, when you find us, I hope that you see we were busy about our father's business. Anybody feel that way? Uh, that is the true heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is such a foundational image in the scripture that it's not simply given to us as the adult uh, that Jesus would become. It's given to us as the child that he was. Children are, are pure. Children are not um, complicated in the sense of manipulating. They're getting more and more <laughs> as they grow older older, they are learning more and more, but the one of the advantages that children have is they don't put on airs so much. They don't, they don't put on fronts. This is one of the reasons why uh, children can have an advantage uh, in, in the area of faith. There is something powerful about the sincere, authentic prayer of a child. Sometimes as we get older, we get our various, uh, we, we, we make our spirituality heavy with worrying over what someone else is thinking about us. You didn't have to say amen. I was going to pause there anyway. <laughs> uh, but a I want you to see this image in the youth of the Lord Jesus Christ, busy about his father's business. Uh, our heart must be inclined toward the kingdom of God, not ourselves, or we have failed to take a cross. The cross is a symbol of redemptive work and sacrificial offering for others. The point of the cross is not that Jesus deserved to die, but that we could not pay a debt. Stay with me. The point of the cross, the image of this cross of, of, of Christ's sacrifice, the point of that cross is not that he deserved to die. It's not even that the Romans were a murderous uh, kingdom or, or, or empire, uh, a better word. Uh, that's not the point. The point is that he died a death we could not die. And so when he asks us to take up our cross, it is as though he's saying, can you live a life of service? Can you live a life with uh, the kingdom of heaven in your uh, in your values, in your purpose. And so we are all of us invited, not just to live for self. In fact, the church that is slipping away from uh, the kingdom of God is not a church that is carnal, that is a byproduct, that is almost secondary. The first error is a church that's focused on self, the needs of self, the desires of self. Out of selfishness comes carnality. What do I want to do? What is entertaining to me? How am I ministered to? What do I like? And we end up with a religious consumerism. And so uh, out of that comes carnality. Out of carnality comes sin. Uh, we are not invited to uh, 
necessarily understand all things. I don't think we could, even if we had an invitation. We are not invited to perceive all things. We're not even invited to, uh, you know, speak with all understanding. I, I, I'm not really aware of anyone who speaks with all understanding. What we are invited to do is to be a part of a kingdom that exists to reach, serve, bless, help, lead others. And so when you see the ministry of Jesus Christ, you, you see it through the lens of what the gospel writer said, uh, quoting Jesus uh, or, 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 or referencing the ministry of Jesus. He, Jesus himself did not come to be served, but to serve and offer himself as a ransom for many. So I want to show you in the, the uh, story of the New Testament church this, this, this function of what happens when people have their heart turned completely toward the kingdom of God. Before I do that, I want to answer this question of uh, my, my text my, my title. Two questions from above. Remember the Garden of Eden. Remember Adam and Eve. They are initially given this, this garden of God's provision, protection, and God's purpose. And they have a role in that garden. And they, they have responsibilities in that garden. They are given authority over the whole of it. There is only one thing that is marked as not for their uh, consumption. That is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We sometimes think of it as the tree of death. It wasn't the only tree of symbol in the garden. There was also a tree of life in the garden. They could eat all they wanted from the tree of life. But there's something tempting about the forbidden. And this is, you guys know how the human heart, human heart works. After they sin, I, I, you guys have, know I've taught a lot from that. After they sin, after Eve uh, is deceived and Adam chooses Eve, real quick to be reminded, Adam was not deceived. Eve was deceived. Adam represented... <laughs> If this messes with your theology, I'm kind of sorry. Adam represents the father heart of God. When he eats of that fruit, what he says with his actions is, I would rather die with you than be alone. This image will be lived out at Calvary when God, the second Adam, says, I would rather die your death than be separated from you. This is love. This is love. Can I have a big amen? And so now sin is in the garden, and it's very, it's a different, it's a different garden. Um, you ever make a trip from the same road from a different direction, and you don't recognize anything? Or have you ever noticed, maybe you can remember back uh, to the Civil War when you were a child, and <laughs> you can remember how your room, which was very comfortable in the day, would look completely different in the dark. And a plant that was uh, obviously a plant during the day would look like the the face of a monster in the dark. Uh, and so this garden feels very different. It feels so different that the authority they have been given means nothing. Why? They, they know they have transgressed. And the Lord asks two questions. These are the two questions the Lord asks of Adam and Eve. Number one, where are you? God knows where they are. That's not the point. The point is they cannot make a step of progress till they admit where they are. So it is in all of our walk with God. The first step is repentance, confession, the acknowledgement of where we are. Do you know where you are? 
this is one of the most confusing things to spiritual maturity I have seen people stumble over. When people allow themselves to get lifted up in some type of spiritual pride, and they begin to arrogate to themselves a place in God that does not actually exist. This is tremendously dangerous. Why? Beware of the moment where you think you stand, because that's when you're susceptible to fall. It's much better to confess your desperate need of God, and confess like uh, the, the king did in the Old Testament. I'm a child. I don't know how to go out. I don't know how to come in. I need you in my life. There is tremendous spiritual safety and humility. Can I have some agreement in the house here? The first question, where are you? Where are you? Where are you? Here's the second question, what have you done? So this becomes questions that reflects the creator with his account. The next thing that will happen in Adam and Eve's life, uh, let, me, let me put it this way, they are on the threshold of judgment. They were told what would happen if they transgressed. Even so, the Lord does not greet them in anger and harshness. He, he, he doesn't show up like a lion. Rather, he calls to them, showing an affectionate, almost a wistfulness. He's missing them. Where, where are you? What have you done? This is the father heart of God. This is not, this is not the judgment sound of an Old Testament prophet. And so, and so you see uh, they're hiding from the Lord. These two questions become, in many ways, uh, examples for us of how the Lord is going to receive all his children at the day where an account is made of our lives. I, I want to I real quick make some uh, clarifications here because once you start preaching about, preaching about uh, accounts and uh, judgments and the balances are going to be weighed, it's real easy to fall into a uh, almost superstitious fear that I'm not going to be saved, that, that I'm not good enough that I'm not worthy. Yes, yes, and yes, you're preaching really good. I'm a sinner. Yes, you are a sinner. And I am not good enough to be saved. No, you're not good enough to be saved. You got it in one try. And you're filled with this superstitious dread. I am not going to be saved. And then you pick your one or two favorite scriptures, which really are blessings to you. If the righteous are scarcely saved like Brother Nathan, we know he's, he's righteous. And if <laughs> Nobody laughed, really? You're, you're going to leave me hanging? Okay, all right, I'll go on. If the righteous are scarcely saved, where does that leave the rest of us, particularly Anthony? His wife isn't here to keep him prayed through tonight, so we're picking on him. Anyway, I want you to see this. I want you to see that uh, you get filled with the superstitious fear as though if you're good enough, then you're saved. This is, this is, uh, this is what theologians mean by legalism, that, that, that your, sal your actions produce salvation. I, I want to be clear. Uh, salvation is the gift of God. Otherwise, there was no point in him dying our death. Uh, salvation is God's goodness. It is God's, it is God's greatness. What we are called to do is to have a heart for his kingdom and to work for his purpose for which he has called us, placed us, chosen us, and directed us. And I want you to see this in the scripture. Uh, our, our modern idea of, of uh, lost and saved is not an Old Testament. It's not something that is real uh, common in the Old Testament. They don't think in terms of lost and saved in the Old Testament. They're just the children of Abraham. What do you mean lost or saved? I might be doing good. I might not be doing good, but I'm the children of Abraham. Well, uh, even in the 
the time of Jesus, the biggest debate theologically is whether or not there's life after death. Do you mean to tell me that everyone who served God in the Old Testament, they, they, uh, they, they dealt with this issue of whether or not there was, there was life beyond this world? Uh, evidently, because in the time of Jesus, it is the most controversial thing right up there with how, what kind of divorce was legal. Could you, did you have to have, and if you guys want to do some homework, you should, I encourage you to spend some time in the New Testament and read this kind of a thing and do some study on this kind of a thing. Uh, what, which kind of divorce was okay? Could I just give you a right for any reason? You burnt my toast, I divorce you, or do I need to go through the, the, the mosaic court, and uh, that's a different issue. That was a big controversy in Jesus' day, and whether or not there was life after death. The Sadducees, which was most of the elite, all all the Sanhedrin, Sanhedrin council was Sadducees, um, they believed there wasn't. You should serve God because you're Abraham's child, and you're called to be a part of his family, and the Pharisees and the Essenes and others, they they uh, were much more inclined to life uh, everlasting, and uh, we know uh, they, in this circumstance got it right. They got a lot of other things wrong, but they got that right. And in the New Testament, we have this idea of being lost and saved. Uh, I want you to see how if your primary motivation of serving God is lost and saved, what it will do is it will turn you into a maintenance worker focused on yourself and remove you from vision and serving a society and a world that is around you. Because if your primary motive is that you must be saved and you have to somehow be good enough to deserve it, well, you really should spend all your time in the prayer room. Do you see what I'm saying? Um, if, on the other hand, you have a sense that that the kingdom of heaven is is like a, a great master who had a steward, and he gave the stewards gifts, and he made investments in the stewards, and he said, I want you to take these gifts that I have given you, these assets, these uh, talents, and I want you to take them, and I want you to do something with them. Now, I'm going away, and I'm going to come back, and I, I want you to have done something with them. I trust you to have my wealth. I trust you to have my authority. I trust you to speak for me. And he goes away, and what are you going to do? Now, in the, the Old Testament, because there wasn't this idea of saved and lost, what do you mean saved and lost? I go to the temple, I'm a child of Abraham, um, I'm part of the covenant, I, I don't know what you're talking about by saved or lost. Even in the New Testament, when Jesus is talking about it, you'll see a lot of times the language is not lost or saved. Do this if you want to be saved. If you don't do it, you're going to be lost. It's the kingdom of heaven. It's the kingdom of God. It's this invitation to the kingdom of God. So I want to, I want to make a, uh, I want to make uh, an appeal to to all of you here today, um, and, and myself included. Uh, if if we live in fear, uh, whether or not we're going to be saved, uh, we don't. We we are not living. First of all, with a discipline of repentance in our life. You need a discipline of repentance. Don't wait until you think you've done something wrong. You won't even know. If you're married, ask your wife. She'll know before you do. That's not, have a discipline of repentance. Every time you enter into the presence of the Lord, forgive me my trespasses, O Lord. Have a discipline of repentance. And then have faith that justice at the day of your judgment is not looking at you. Justice is looking at the blood that has covered the threshold. I feel like preaching a little bit here. Justice isn't looking. Justice looks at the covering in your life, and then you are given a 
the righteousness of Christ. So once you are able to begin to believe that although you will never be good enough to deserve salvation, justice isn't looking at you. You've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. Oh, praise God. This this isn't permission for sin, as you know. Anybody who takes it for that misses the heart of it. This very much is spiritual adoption. It is His identity placed upon you in water baptism. It is His spirit, His life, His talents, His gifts within you through the infilling of his spirit in your life. That's not what I'm preaching about, but anyway, moving along. So, so here you are, here you are. You begin to believe that although I will never deserve salvation, he's good enough. He paid my debt. Now, when you get to that point, you still read all of the passages of the scripture that are invitations to spiritual purpose. It's just those things are not focused anymore on whether or not you're saved. That's settled. That is the gift of God. That is his victory. Salvation is not to celebrate us. It is to celebrate him. The invitation of God is how would you like to be a part of a heavenly kingdom? And what would a heavenly kingdom look like here on earth? Pause with that for a moment. What would a heavenly kingdom? I'm not referring to after the rapture. I'm not referring referring to the triumphant return of the Lord with the saints. That will all work itself out. Uh, We look forward to it, but we leave it with God. That's his business. What would the kingdom of heaven look like right now? Well, the good news is we actually see the foundation of the kingdom of God. It is the rise of the church age and the great revival that happened through the church in the history of the early church, aka the book of the book of Acts. And so there is this pattern uh, shown to us here, and it is, first of all, the seeking for the promised and filling on the day of Pentecost. We celebrate that a lot. Uh, that's part of our church history. That's part of our church DNA. Um, we celebrate that. Uh, if you have not been baptized in Jesus' name, I am dying to baptize you as soon as possible. I want to take a picture with you. I want to do the little dance. I want to have a little celebration. I want to baptize you in Jesus' name. If you've never received the gift of tongues in your life, I want you to see how it is a revolution of spiritual confidence in your life. Tongues is not the Holy Ghost. Tongues is the sign of the Holy Ghost. This is important because God will work with you when you're still a sinner. His presence will come knock on your heart door where you're sitting out in the club acting the fool. But you will not have personal witness. You see, your most powerful influence on the world is not as a debater, but as a witness. And so, and so you have this opportunity to have a personal witness. And this is the, the role of a sign, initial sign, the Bible calls it, that is given to you. And it is a manifestation of God in your life uh, that will have a revolutionary impact on your confidence in God. Look what it did to the disciples. Now, the revival can't stay in the upper room. Peter, if you stay in the upper room, you missed it, buddy. Well, I just want to sit in here and pray with the holy people of God. Okay, we'll take them outside. I just want to gather together and think about the wonderful passages of the Old Testament that are being fulfilled. No, 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 no. You've got to let revival get outside of the upper room. Somebody has to fall down the stairs. Some, You guys see what I'm saying? 
in order to have the kingdom of heaven expressed here on earth, it's going to look like this. It's going to look some version of this where people filled with the Spirit uh, are given a sense of boldness, not for the point of offense. They would have had no influence if they would have come out and just offended people. We've all seen what that looks like. Fat lot of good that does. Uh, But somehow they had this experience with the manifestation in a manner that brought interest to the hearts of the people passing by. They were interesting and they said to themselves and each other, what meaneth this? And so I want you to see how this revival goes. Um, It, it, of course, is paid for at Calvary. um, And the shape of the kingdom of heaven and the tenor and tone of the kingdom of heaven is shaped by the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is fulfilled at the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. This is the promise that all those who died in faith, not having received the promise, they did not have it. Uh, But on this day it is given, and out of this day comes the new growth of a new new, unprecedented, promised work of God in the earth, and we know it as the church. And so it starts on this day, and on this day about 3,000 are baptized. Uh, They receive the words that Peter preached. You can read the message um, in the book of Acts. Uh, I believe most of it is given to us. There may be some summation there, uh, but all the important parts are there. (laughs) And uh, he preached this magnificent, one of the best messages you'll read anywhere. And uh, he he challenges the hearts of the people. They receive his words, and they accept it. And what happens next? Uh, They they believe, they receive the words, and they're baptized. Now, real quick, if the 12 disciples, well, at this point, 11 disciples, did the baptizing, uh, to process 3,000 baptisms, Lord Jesus, let us have the great problem of figuring out how to baptize three people. I don't think my back would hold up, but I've got some young preachers over here. We will wear them suckers out. Just let it happen in Charlotte in Jesus' name. And so, so uh, they, if the twelve, if they had twelve, uh, I didn't, I didn't think to do eleven. I did twelve because you know sometimes I'm absent-minded. But there were eleven disciples there. Um, that means each one of them would have to baptize uh, forty-two people an hour uh, for <laughs> beginning at noon, and that would continue for most of the day to baptize uh, three thousand, three thousand uh, people. And so uh, revival doesn't start here. It goes from this moment. It goes house to house now. Why is this important? Because the, uh, it's, it's too big, too fast, and nobody really knows what's going on. I, I know it says they continued in the apostles' doctrine, but what that literally, what that meant in the practical sense is they humbled themselves to the apostolic teaching. There wasn't a systematic theology at this point. Uh, uh, none of the work of Paul had been uh, completed yet. Um, James, one of the first books, had not been written. That would happen a couple decades later. Um, the gospel had not been written. Um, what you have is a very hands-on uh, teaching of the disciples. Now, uh, once we have the writings of Paul, and we have Galatians, and we have Hebrews, and we have Romans, that awesome book, um, now, now you have what we think of nowadays as a systematic theology. We can kind of all agree on the same themes of Scripture. That's a good thing. We should study that Scripture. Can I have an Amen. Uh, but at this time, they've humbled themselves. They, they received the apostles' doctrine. That means these men were received as leaders and elders, and they taught. 
uh, 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 oral tradition. They, they spoke from their mouth. They, they were not uh, necessarily using New Testament letters in the manner that we have today. They used the Old Testament as a teaching example, and they used the Old Testament as a, a journey that led to Jesus Christ. And these move, this movement is happening house to house, and on Sunday, they are borrowing the court of the Gentiles at uh, the temple, and they're having church there. Uh, I, want, I want you all to understand how this happened. Why is it going house to house? Well, they don't have anywhere to meet, but they are all talking about these things. They're deeply, deeply interested. Uh, they haven't got bored with it. God forgive us if we get bored with it. They're not tired of talking about it. They're excited about what God is doing. They are deeply spiritual. There is signs and wonders, but there's plenty they do not understand, but they don't let that stop them. Uh, it is, the Spirit moves like the wind, and I have, it's been my experience a few times to see people stop, particularly uh, in the years that I was an evangelist. Uh, people, people kill something they don't understand because they are primarily driven by fear. Uh, rather than having uh, the wisdom of someone like Gamaliel who says, well, let's, let's kind of have some, a soft touch here. If, if God's in it, something will come of it. If God's not in it, it'll come to nothing. Um, they, they had a, a very hard touch, and uh, they, they, they met it like uh, almost with a rejection. They didn't understand it, so they killed it. There is a very op- much of an openness. There's a sp- there's, you can't read this passage without feeling the, the sense of, of, of divine fear and spiritual hunger and the miracles that are happening, and they're humbling themselves to the teaching of the, the, the apostles, the, the, the apostles that are working uh, to, as leaders and as teachers and evangelists and witnesses, and they are, there's this happening house to house to house, and on Sunday, remember, the temple stuffed full on Saturday. Why? Why is it full on Saturday? Well, that's the Sabbath. There's no place for them to meet on the Sabbath. Uh, it's full of, of observant Jews, and so how did we get a Sunday church tradition started? Well, it's because that was the day that was available. There are some people, sincere people, who to this day believe that we have missed the will of God uh, by having church on Sunday and not on Saturday. Now, Paul deals with this directly, but um, some people, they, they have a, a personality type that they need to get one foxhole and defend it till they die. That's just who they are. And God bless them. They're not our enemies. Uh, that's just how they take it. Paul, Paul, they're very practical. I mean, Paul's like, look, okay, we do it on Sunday. Uh, that's when it was available. There was no other spot. And it's been our tradition from the beginning to do this on Sunday. So the temple's empty on Sunday. Uh, People have to take off work. The work week starts back on Sunday among the Jews. It's only, the restrictions are only on Saturday. It's the first day of the week. Now, nowadays we have the 2-5 schedule, which is awesome. The only thing better than the 2-5 would be the 4-3. Actually, I'm actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking the 3-4 would be better than that. Or maybe you could be a preacher and have a 1-6. Because <laughs> everybody knows preachers don't work. We just sleep all the time, and there's no stress, no, nothing. It's just pretty much awesome, so God bless all you guys. Anyway, yeah, some of you are still thinking 1-6. I don't know if I'm okay with that. <laughs> Uh, so, so uh, they, they're meeting there on Sunday. Sorry for the distraction. They're, they're meeting there on, on Sunday. But that is the public. That is the public gathering. They don't have time to get to know each other there. They don't really make uh, so much uh, connection there as they do when the 
the, the revival goes house to house. Nowadays, the great challenge that we have in this generation really is not simply can we have good church on Sunday, but can we have a move of God house to house? Because without that element, we will be missing some fundamental part of the apostolic model. Um, now, this is valuable not just on a spiritual level. It's also value, valuable on an institutional level. Um, there's only, uh, every year, the 100 fastest growing churches in America a list comes out, uh, published by Outreach Magazine, and I get it every year. And I go, through, I go through all the churches. The reason why is because only 6% of churches in America are growing uh, faster than their, their communities. Um, uh, 94% of churches in America are either shrinking uh, or they are growing, the community is growing faster than they are. The community is growing at 3 or 4%. Their church is growing at 1 or 2%. They're in, a, uh, they're in a technical decline, if not an absolute one. Only 6% of churches are growing. And so I'm really interested to try to learn something. And, so, and I'm a compulsive student anyway, so it kind of fits my personality. So I look these churches up. Everything's available. You can see how they have church. You can go to their, I mean, it's an open book. I mean, go to their website. Everything's there. Um, now, I don't go with... With a critical eye, I don't go saying, well, they don't have a move of God. I don't do that. I'm simply looking at organization and, and how they're uh, trying to structure and all that. Every single one of the churches on uh, the top 100 fastest growing churches in America has a dynamic, successful small groups uh, ministry, uh, life groups ministry. Uh, they have some way, and so I want, to, I want you all to see that this is a spiritual example in the book of Acts model, but even just in practical organizations, in churches that may or may not be specifically spiritual, people need large group connections or associations, and they need small group connections. Um, it's hard for me to get to know you. That's one of the reasons why I do a small group after every Sunday service, to get to know people. I sit with them. I talk to them. Uh, this past Sunday, we had one lady there, Crystal. Some of you guys know her. Um, she's new. Uh, I set me and Anthony and uh, a couple other ones set for an hour, and we just talked. Where are you from? How did, how did you find the church? How have you been back? We talked. We have to make that connection because we need large group associations, but we also need small group connections. All life change, all mentoring, all discipleships happens in the in a context of relationships. There's there's no other way around that. Um, it always happens this way, and you will you will see this uh, again and again in the scripture. My my point uh, that I'm trying to get around to here is we all of us are invited uh, to be a part of the kingdom of heaven, and so when I invite you to to pray for revival. It's not about you being saved. Salvation's the gift of God. Now, you need to pray to stay spiritual. You see what I'm saying? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not being silly. Um, but it's not about your salvation. It's about your opportunity to be a part of the greatest thing from the foundation of the world. When I, and I, when I ask you or when I, I present a volunteering opportunity, it's, it's not about whether or not the church could hire it done. Sometimes we can, sometimes we can't. It's not about that it's about your opportunity to be a part of the greatest thing God has done in the earth. What would the kingdom of heaven look like if God started it here on earth? It would look like a dynamic revival local church. Oh, I've got to say that again. I, I just, if God manifests the kingdom of heaven here on earth, what would it look like? The good news is we actually know it would look like a dynamic, growing, powerful, spiritual, hungry, local church. 
And so we are engaged, and I am engaged, and our, our pastoral staff and our leadership team has been talking for several weeks about, about these issues and how we facilitate these things. And uh, I invite you to, to, to pray with us on how we as a church have these, these elements of this manifestation of the kingdom of God here in our church. We have, we have small groups now. They're very, they're, they're very good. Some of them are, have been extremely successful. Um, I, I don't, when I say that, I'm not saying that we are, we don't have small groups. We do. I'm thankful for all of them. Some of them are meeting tonight. Um, but I want you to see in the manifestation of the kingdom of heaven, there has to be the large public worship and there has to be the small tight knit ministry. This has to happen uh, if you're going to have a New Testament style uh, revival. The worst thing that can happen in a church is a consumer culture. Um, this is in opposition to the Jesus way. Jesus invites us to the way of the cross. He invites us to the way of self-sacrifice, submission, spiritual humility, patience with one another. And he gives us what is the natural product of his spirit in our life, which is Christian character. This is the fruit of the spirit. You don't need favor to manifest the fruit. Fruit is that which grows naturally from the product of the the tree or the, 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 the plant, whatever it is. Um, it is the natural production. You don't need, if you, you don't need a special miracle or special favor to have love begin to grow in your life. You just need to be full of the spirit because that's the natural product of, um, and so the most dangerous people in the church uh, at large are people who have gifts of the spirit, but no fruit of the spirit because they go about like the grim reaper. <laughs> And they have insight because the gifts of God are without repentance. And once you do, you are able to work and live at a level, uh, you don't stop that just because of changes in your in your life. You just become dangerous, and you still lead. You just now lead in a false direction. And so, uh, how how do we manifest uh, the Spirit of God in our life to others? It's very simple: the fruit of the Spirit in your life. Um, this becomes so important that it is the man of this. It is the manner that God shows to reach the world. And this is the whole point of the chapter on love in First Corinthians thirteen. Even if you had all power and understood all knowledge, it wouldn't work as good as simply loving people. Even if you could speak with the voices of angels, it wouldn't be as effective if you'd just love some people. Even if you knew all there was to know about all the cool stuff, that wouldn't work as good simply as loving people. What if you could levitate an 18-wheeler? That wouldn't work as good at changing the world as, as loving people. What if you could say abracadabra and turn, you know, what if I could just say in Jesus' name and turn elm trees into money trees? Mm, bring it on, mighty God. What if I could do that? That wouldn't work as good as simply loving people because that is the, the, the manifestation of the Spirit in our, in our life. The opposite of that, the opposite of that, the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit is self-serve religiosity. It is consumer church. Uh, I'll talk a little bit more about that next week. It is the story of man judging God and God serving man. This is exactly wrong. God judges man and man serves God. 
Well, praise the Lord, somebody. Everybody surviving okay? I'm not being mean to you. I got love for you. Uh, I, I want you to see this is always knocking at your heart door. Your trouble is not sin. Sin is a second order. The trouble is the battle happening in your heart and in your mind for the kingdom of God. And when you walk un, in a, outside of faith and outside of kingdom and outside of calling, sin is the result of that. If you be if you are transformed in your mind that is what keeps you in the flow of the kingdom of heaven, the purposes of God, the call of his spirit in in your life. And so uh, the 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 great risk, the thing that I believe as is the mortal enemy of dynamic revival churches. And I'm almost done, musicians, you can come. Um, uh, the thing that's the enemy of, of that is not so much the devil, although the devil is the enemy. It's just we have a solution for the devil. Resist the enemy and he shall boogie. Okay. So, uh, I, 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 the devil's not your problem. Okay. The, the, the devil's not your problem. He, he could be if you did not avail yourself of the power of the name of Jesus. So if you're struggling with the devil, I got a plan for you. We're going to speak the name of Jesus in that circumstance. And we're not just going to speak it. We're going to celebrate it. We're going to sing of his power. We're going to shout of his goodness. When the Spirit of the Lord moves upon my heart, I will dance like David. Dance. Do this part. Dun, dun, dun. Y'all didn't do it. Spirit killers. Bunch of spirit killers. So uh, the enemy, really, I honestly believe this. The enemy is this self-serve Christianity where we're focused on our needs. And we, we, we come to the house and we judge everything through the prism of, of what I needed. Um, Everybody who's ever left a church says some version of the same thing. I'm not talking about they were offended or something. Uh, that's different. I'm talking about they just they just leave or drift away or backslide. They all say some version of, I just wasn't getting something I needed. Whatever that is. They didn't sing my song. Well, blame Brother Nathan. I don't do any of the singing around here. I tried to, but he won't let me be on his team. So it's his fault. The preacher didn't, he, he wasn't feeding me. But if you ever leave this church, please don't tell the next pastor you weren't fed. Honey, I've been cooking up a storm up here. You can say you didn't like the cooking, but don't say I wasn't cooking. Make me get a bad spirit. All week long in the kitchen, sound like my mama. All week long in the kitchen, my feet, my dogs barking, cooking you breakfast, lunch, and dinner, three, four square meals a day, and you're going to say you aren't fed, huh? You best run off down to the grocery store and cook for yourself. Don't, don't leave and say somebody you weren't being fed. That just it's like a flag saying I'm an immature believer. What can the church do for me? Oh, it's quiet in here. My goodness, I better quit before I offend somebody. All right, the enemy, the enemy, the enemy is this attitude of church consumerism. I'm here for me. Feed me. Uh, that is not really uh, the apostolic method. Our job, really, 
is to, in some way, uh, be filled with the Spirit of God in the same manner the New Testament church was. And let the zeal of that begin to change the stuff that sits on the throne of our mind. In other words, you can't, okay, I'll pick on the guys here for a minute, okay? We can't, guys, we can't spend all of our joy on following our favorite sports teams and then come to church and pretend we're spiritual. We haven't protected our spirit against things that are competing for our heart. You should protect yourself from things. You can enjoy it, but keep it in its place. So it is with uh, uh, every element of our life, all from, from, from business and hobbies, even to relationships. I love you, baby, but I ain't going to hell for you. That just, I mean, I mean, I'll go to the grocery store for you, but I ain't going to hell for you. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, that's what I tell my wife every day, and she does the same thing. She just slaps me and keeps on walking, does no good whatsoever. So I want you to see anything you must, if, if you're going to hold on, what time is it? I got to quit. If you're going to hold on to the zeal of the kingdom of God, you can't serve two masters. Lord Jesus, we are hungry to be the living manifestation. Oh, Lord Jesus. Of revival in a community, revival in a city. Lord Jesus, we want so much for our respective neighborhoods to have the sounds of people repenting of their sins. We don't want to just have public association. We want to have personal connection. We want to have people that are drawn, people that are received, accepted, engaged. We want to speak life to them. We want to speak the name of Jesus over them. Lord Jesus, we are yours and we want to follow the call of your heart. We don't want to be inheritors of law but miss your heart. We want to get your heart, oh God, and you love this, this generation, this world, this city, this community, and let us be the hands and feet that fulfill that love. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's all stand. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I feel the presence of the Lord here. Let's just take a moment here and just stand in His presence and in your own words, your own voice. Why don't you just talk to the Lord right now? Uh, if you haven't, if you haven't uh, had the conversation of the risk of selfishness in your Christianity. If you haven't had that with the Lord for a while, I'd like you to have that. Lord, I'll, get, I, I'll pray it for my heart and, and you'll understand what I'm talking about. Lord, I want to readily confess here tonight it's so easy for me to make church about me. Lord Jesus, I want to confess from my heart that it's so easy for me to determine how much I enjoyed it or, 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 or something like that and not really not really see the larger, the larger opportunity, the larger call. Lord, I'm praying you would fill me with the Holy Ghost in such a powerful way that I am able to get beyond this consumer religion and get back to being your hands and your feet. Lord Jesus, as, as your people, we want to manifest that. We want to manifest that. Thank you for listening to 
First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four stars. By doing so, you will help others find it and also bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times and church ministries, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.